0: Hi, I'm Talissa and I'm Rachel and this is Transatlantic Crime, a true crime podcast that covers stories from each side of the pond. Every week, we will both cover a separate story with a running theme.
1: Disclaimer, this podcast will contain swearing and details that some people may find offensive. If you are of a sensitive disposition, listener discretion is advised. Welcome Welcome to to Transatlantic Crime. Crime. (laughs) Same place. recording. Good morning (laughs) Telissa. Good morning Rach. It's the afternoon here. So I've got myself a lovely Corona beer. Oh (laughs) haven't seen one of those in a while.
0: Haven't Uh, seen anyone drinking one of those in a while. It's too
1: yeah, it's too much, isn't it? Too soon. It's too soon. They were in my fridge left over from a party. My birthday oh. party, so yeah, I've got this, and then I've got a pink gin and a can next, and then if I run out, I've got a Stella Artois. It's more like a single pick, <laughs> a, it's like a pick and mix of single bits of alcohol.
0: That's what we had in our fridge the other day. We had one Stella, and I was like, where did that come from?
1: Who the fuck buys Stella? <laughs> I don't know. But anyway, how's your week been? Um, Not much to report? No.
0: I'm <laughs> like, my <laughs> mind is blank. Well, we just had the presidential... Oh, the presidential debate. Yes. Like I said last week, dumpster fire.
1: <laughs> that was like someone someone took a shit in the remains of the dumpster fire. Yeah. Joe Biden really showed himself up. He really sank to Trump's level. You wouldn't catch Obama doing that.
0: Well, Hillary Clinton ha- had to do it as well. It's it's just really hard when you're met with a bully. Yeah. Who keeps poking and poking
1: you. Not to lose your shit.
0: Yeah, where, where are you supposed to go?
1: Still though. I still maintain I don't think Obama would ever lose a shit at anyone ever. Like, he's a stone cold psychopath. I love it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I just feel like every day is a new dumpster fire and I just block it. Like at the end of the day, my, my memory is just like wiped clean. And then I wake up in the morning and I'm like, what day is it? What year is it?
1: which year (laughs) is this i know i that i saw a meme today that was like you know that meme where it's like a guy holding his girlfriend's hand and he's looking back at like another girl and yeah (laughs) on the the girlfriend it says the uk shit show right now and then it's like the guy and then it's like uk and the guy is the uk looking back and it goes america shit show right now (laughs) You're just waiting to catch up. You are like hold my beer at the moment, which is hard, yeah. that's hard to top.
0: <laughs> we just keep topping each other. That's that's what happens. I know.
1: It's like a competition of who can have the fucking most ridiculous life. um yeah I also yesterday had a meltdown because I had to give my keys back to my ex-boyfriend and Mm -hmm. I had to get the keys back off him and his very lovely housemate said that she would do it like for us because we obviously don't like I don't want to see him (laughs) I don't know he probably doesn't want to see me either so we did that and then I was quite upset and then I had a massage booked but I didn't have any petrol in my car so I had to go to the petrol station and I went to put the nozzle in and it like wouldn't fit and I was like for fuck's sake the petrol cap's broken the petrol cap's like snapped off inside this car and then I like just started crying the petrol station guy was looking at me as if I was a fucking maniac which I was <laughs> <And> then, like, <laughs> I just like drove home tried to like plier the petrol cap thing wasn't working mm. then I I was like crying in bed and like Carly bought me a cup of tea and a, and a Galaxy Ripple, which is a really nice chocolate bar if you've never had one. And <laughs> and then um, my brother was like, send me a picture of it. So I did. And he was like, look, absolutely fine. He was like, are you sure you were trying to put in petrol? I was like, uh, no, I tried to put in diesel. No. <laughs> like, so it's like my totally my own fault because the diesel nozzle doesn't fit into this petrol cap car. Yeah. So there was absolutely Which nothing they wrong. do on purpose for these reasons. This like fucking moron insurance that I clearly need. Like, So I had a full blown breakdown yesterday over that. But it wasn't about that really, was it? It was about the keys. Then I put the vow on. My lovely friend Sarah found me a, a beautiful illegal stream. So
0: Oh, yes.
1: Yes. So I started watching it. And yeah, I re- I'm really enjoying it. How caught up are you? I'm like epi- I'm at the end of episode two. Oh, okay. Um, so not that far, but scarily, my friend Sarah was like, "Keith is like low key sexy in some of it." I'm like, "No, he isn't." No, Sarah, <laughs> she, what are you talking about? She wants to join a cult more than anyone I've ever known, <laughs> and I want to join a cult a little bit. He's really not. And do you know who he really I... reminds me of? Who? Like. He reminds me of, um, in Friends, when Phoebe goes out with a psychologist, and mm. he, like, says to Chandler, like, your parents are divorced before puberty and stuff, like, and yeah. he just psychoanalyses all of them, and they hate him. He <laughs> looks like that actor. I can't remember he the actor's does. name. But he fucking looks like that guy. Really bad. Yeah, We gotta um, figure out who that guy is. Yeah, like, absolute bit actor, never being anything else, but uh and not sexy it's getting juicy now
0: yeah every time i see him on screen it's just i just get like a kind of feeling it's just like uh it's so creepy no
1: part of me wants to fuck that guy no no part of me and i am not gonna have sex for the foreseeable future so (laughs) so you could but you wouldn't exactly i could but i wouldn't even in my desperate state (laughs) Yeah, it
0: does get better and better. I still think that my only qualm with the documentary series is that there's just so much, like, reading that you have to do.
1: Yeah, you have to keep your eye on the screen, which is a bit annoying. Yeah. Also, also, it kind of feels like they're doing a reenactment, but is it yes. happening at the time or is it a reenactment? Because if it's a reenactment, that's kind of shit. Which which were, what are you talking about? Um, Like, for example, like, she's on the phone to her husband and you see her, like, walking through the snow, like... Mm. mouthing the words and it's like she's you're obviously not filming that so that must be old that must be footage that you had to make for the documentary which is like super cheesy right i think kind of takes away from the seriousness of it that's just me i agree
0: it does seem like some of it is like redone like oh we're we're calling someone now like someone's just called me
1: yeah yeah it's hard to explain like you'll realize when you watch it but yeah it It kind of seems a bit like, oh, is this the past? Is this the present? Are you telling us about something that's happened or is it happening now? Right. Kind of hard to figure out. But either way, like, it's gripping. There's no way you can can say it isn't. It's starting to be good now as well because, oh, I'm just going to give the whole story away. But, yeah, yeah, she's basically starting to reveal to her husband, like, what she knows about the other women and what they've been put through and stuff.
0: Yeah, it gets better. And I can't remember
1: the podcast series, but... Um, or what happened it was it, called fine it was called finding nexium yes and it's fucking really good
0: it is really good i'm on i think the fifth one just came out i just watched the latest one yeah. and more and more people are coming forward Ooh. so and i can't remember if th- this happened in the podcast but once you get to the fifth or sixth the latest episode there's something that i didn't know happened.
1: Ooh. and you've listened to the whole podcast right
0: I've listened and I've been following it because this all came out not that long ago, 2017. Yeah. So I've been reading it and I love reading about cults, (laughs) especially when they're happening right
1: now when it's like... And right near you yeah <laughs> i swear in the documentary you see them doing a hike and i was like that has got to be motherfucking runyon canyon i think it was yeah the cat like the, the hike that we went on that i nearly died on legit died like yeah i was like that's that hike and they look like they're not struggling at all <laughs> yeah yeah in my face <laughs> but yeah if you
0: are watching it then let us know what you think of it too let us know on our instagram
1: listeners. and if you want an illegal stream just drop me a message yeah <laughs> i'll sort you out uk oh so watch class actually class action park oh you did yeah we, and you ca- oh my god i fucking loved it like carly mm. fucking loved it they were talking about how obviously the deaths are not cool but they were talking about how um it was kind of like lord of the flies it was just like run by yeah. teenagers <laughs> and that's why it was so like every ride that they showed i was like that i'm i'm not a scientist. As you well know. And even (laughs) I can see, like, physics-wise, that is not going (laughs) to work. Yeah. Like, you're just going to
0: fly off the end of it. (laughs) That's what I was saying. Like, every five minutes, you're like, what is that how is yes. that a ride? how
1: who what where when how why <laughs> i know and then there was really random stuff in it as well like they said that there was like an electrical fault in the fucking kayaky bit and somebody just got electrocuted yeah. i was like yeah that's not even a ride <laughs> i
0: know that's just poor upkeep that other bit where they had bumper tanks and yeah. some kid just put like fireballs oh, yeah. in them
1: again reminds me of friends where he's like gonna need stitches ball (laughs) that whole that whole fucking theme park was gonna need stitches ball oh yeah Totally. So, yeah, I watched that. And then last thing that I just watched just before I came up to record this podcast was the Chris Watts documentary that's just come out on Netflix, American Family. Oh yes. Like, I kind of want to watch it again because, again, there's a lot of text reading and a lot of, Mm. like, mumbled words of people. But I feel like the littlest things they say really matter. Yes. And that is so good. Although, I would say if you have kids, probably don't watch it because... no. My brother has, like, Tom, the one that throws bricks and TVs, (laughs) he was like, I can't listen or watch or look at, like, anything Chris Watts anymore because he's got a kid. And he was like, and when you think about how utterly defenceless, like, he's like, you don't realise how utterly defenceless kids are until you have them. He's like, Austin will run towards a wall looking away. It's like... (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like his dad. He's like, no concept of his own safety. And he's like, and how easy it is for you, like, to victimise a child is just fucking disgusting. And he was like, I I can't, he was like, I can't watch it. And like, that's him. Like, he watches, he, he told me about a website that he goes on like he used to go on that was like the, the gross oh, i can't remember what it is like, i really can't remember the name of it but it's just like disgusting deaths or like the grossest deaths or something like that Aww. and it's just basically like people getting their heads chopped off like yeah people getting their head chopped off by a helicopter blade accidentally like all this kind of yeah. gross shit and he watches that and he was like <laughs> i couldn't fucking handle chris watts case
0: There's some things that, I don't know if you have it too, but there's this one story in California that happened a couple of years ago, and I just don't want to know any details about it, because for some reason, I just, it hits me somewhere that I'm just like, I can't deal with this information. What? Give me the general gist. (laughs) It's, the general gist is a man took his two daughters camping, two young daughters, Mm. and he was found a day or two later in his tent and he was shot to death and the two daughters were alive and they were in the tent with him oh god Uh, and they were just camping and i just i can't deal with that story yeah it's just like the two little girls being in the tent either when it happened or after it happened how old were they they were young but we don't talk about it <laughs> they were young but old enough to No. No. Yeah. So I think I think they were like three and five or you know, something like that. Fucking hideous. Yeah. I just can't, that's the one story that I'm just like, I can't, I don't want to know anymore.
1: Um, I'm trying to think if there's a story like that for me. Um, I don't know if he was English or if he was American, but a guy called Albert Fish. That sounds familiar. You know him? Basically he yeah. kidnapped eight children oh. and then would like send their parents letters telling them like what he did yeah. and, st- and I just like, I fucking cannot. It's yeah. so grim. It's grim. It's like the yeah. grimmest thing you could ever imagine. Yeah. And he's gross as well. Like to look at, to listen to. He's mm-hmm. like the devil. So that's my can't go there story. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, now that we go gave those little mini murder stories,
1: <laughs> let's, let's move on to our theme this week. Yeah. I always worry that I've looked at the theme and got it wrong and written a whole so fucking story. <laughs> Every week I have that worry. Okay. So it's wrongly accused.
0: Yes. Maybe one week we should have like a free-for-all where we just do whatever we want and we don't worry about what the theme is. Yeah,
1: definitely. <laughs> okay, so you're first this week, I I believe. am.
0: I actually started marking it down. I don't know if you noticed that Yes, there's those the little green bits on the spreadsheet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so fucking organized. So, it seems kind of long, but there's a lot of information on my story this week. Well, wrongly accused are complicated, aren't they? Because you have to tell the murder and then how they didn't do it. yes exactly all right so my story is about richard phillips who coincidentally has the same name as captain richard phillips oh no the guy who got kidnapped by somali pirates (laughs) i'm the captain now yeah okay but that's not the same guy okay richard phillips in our story is um a black gentleman okay and he looks so sweet too oh all right so Richard Phillips was born in Detroit, Michigan, in 1946. He grew up in a rough household, scrounging for food and enduring frequent beatings from his stepfather. By age 16, he had dropped out of high school and fell in with a bad crowd, including a young man named Fred Mitchell. Richard, Fred, and their friends would skip school, drink beers, get into fights, and they were on their way to being well-known with the police. Eventually, Richard was arrested and convicted for joyriding, which led to a brief prison sentence. Fred Mitchell was also arrested for manslaughter around this time. Uh, When he was 19, he got into a fight with a man and he shot him. Uh Oh. So, two friends in jail. Okay. Once Richard was out, he was in his early 20s, I believe, he was determined to live a better life. He distanced himself from his old friends and he found a well-paying job. His girlfriend, Teresa, told him she was pregnant and together they raised a baby daughter... They got married, and they had a son soon after. Good for him. Yeah. At 24 years old, Richard was in a good place. He had a good job, and he was supporting his family. In 1971, when Richard was 25, his old friend, Fred Mitchell, was released from prison. Oh, piss off. Yeah. (laughs) This is where it all goes downhill. I bet his wife was happy about that. (laughs) Yeah. The two young men reconnected and began hanging out. Richard had just lost his job, and he told Fred that his marriage was on the rocks. He and Fred partied at night, going to shows, and they started snorting heroin together. No. Fred Mitchell is just a bad influence. Definitely. So Richard seemed to be living a double life. He'd spend time with his family in the day, and he'd spend nights with his friends. Richard was also introduced to one of Fred's prison friends, who was just released. His name was Richard Palombo. Okay. So... (laughs) (laughs) i just want to get all the names correct yes there's two richards there's the main richard phillips and then there's richard palombo so i'm just going to name him palombo for the rest of this story yeah so on september 6 1971 palombo and fred mitchell went to rob a convenience store they got away with less than ten dollars in cash but they had pulled a gun on the store clerk A witness called the police, and Palombo was soon caught and arrested. Shortly after, both Fred Mitchell and Richard Phillips were brought in and arrested. As they looked similar, witnesses claimed it was Richard Phillips who had committed the robbery. At Palombo's trial, Palombo admitted to the robbery, but he would not admit who his accomplice was. He remained silent when asked who he committed the robbery with. Richard Phillips was then convicted for armed robbery and sentenced to a minimum of seven years in prison. Fred Mitchell went free. I think seven years for armed robbery is all right. Just wait. That could be okay. (laughs) While Richard was in prison the following year, 1972, the body of Gregory Harris was found outside of a nearby city in Troy, Michigan. Gregory was a 21-year-old man who had disappeared in June of 1971. While he was missing, his mother had received an anonymous phone call saying that two men... Palumbo and Mitchell had shot her son and hid his body. When Gregory's body had been found on March second, nineteen seventy-two, they found that he had been shot multiple times in the head. On March fifteenth, nineteen seventy-two, Fred Mitchell was picked up by police again for armed robbery. Completely separate armed robbery. He just keeps oh. holding up convenience stores. Yeah, for when he's $10. getting fucking
1: ten dollars at a time. <laughs> yeah, rob a bank. Right. <laughs> Uh, this time Fred told
0: police that he had info on the murder of Gregory Harris. He said the murder was committed by Palombo and Richard Phillips. Police had no hard evidence and Fred was soon taken to trial where he told the court that he, Palombo, and Richard Phillips conspired to kill Gregory Harris As he had apparently stolen money from Mitchell's mother. It was found later on that as Fred waited for trial for his robbery, his sentences became lighter and lighter as he talked to police more and more about the murder of Gregory Harris. Uh. While in court for his robbery, the judge said to Fred, Mr. Mitchell, when I read your record, I was going to give you life. Then, as I read on, I realized what this case was, and I realized that you have been instrumental in helping on a first degree murder case and that you deserve some consideration. You fucking snitch. A liar and a snitch. Fucking snitches get stitches. <laughs> Fred's robbery sentence was reduced from 20 to 10 years. Anyway, do that.
1: Yeah, just wait. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're right to listen on everything you've said so far. That's
1: because I'm, it's not my first rodeo with listening to a true crime <laughs> case, Rachel. I know how these things work. I'm basically a lawyer now. Yeah, you could totally represent someone. I maybe not. Kind of think I could, but then I have an overinflated <laughs> sense of self-confidence.
0: I mean, considering the lawyers in this story specifically, you could do a much better job. I could do a much better job.
1: Arlo could do a much better job. Tito, <laughs> dog lawyers. Dog lawyers.
0: Aww. <laughs> the little little uh, javelin.
1: And they have What's to. What's it called? Oh, I don't know what an official name for it is, but they have to pass the bark instead of the bar. <laughs> No. and instead of a instead of a hammer they just have like a squeaky toy that goes beep beep <laughs> <laughs> I could
0: totally see like Arlo's in like a nice suit and has a British accent and then Tito's like the rough around the edges lawyer from the streets who's just scruffy and unshaven and
1: oh who was who, who played like John Travolta John Travolta played him in OJ's trial thing yeah what's his name oh what is it what is fucking it fucking google it <laughs> it's on the tip of my tongue yeah i mine. all i got a british wig on like as well like a magistrate's <laughs> wig
0: yes and he's very like by the books <laughs> and tito is not by the books he's just fly by
1: the seat of your pants talk over the judge <laughs> <laughs> yep turns up a bit drunk <laughs> but he really he has heart he cares he fucking cares about his clients all right
0: um John Travolta played Robert Shapiro. Oh
1: god, thank god for that. Yeah. Yes. Anyway.
0: <laughs> Anyways. <laughs> Where were we? I really want to talk more about passing the bark and dog <laughs> uh,
1: Just bark but I object. <laughs> <laughs> just bark. guilty or not guilty. Growl or <laughs> I don't know.
0: There's Aww. just a jury of, like, poodles
1: and Great Danes and a Rottweiler. <laughs> oh, someone please draw this. I'm going to have to ask my friend, Ada. She's an illustrator. I'm gonna, like, come on, yeah. mate. I'm not paying you any money, but this is important. <laughs> <laughs> I will pay you $5. <laughs>
0: uh, where was I? Okay, so Fred has testified about the robbery. And now, so they brought Richard Phillips and Palombo in for court for murder. In court, there was no presentation on whether the police dusted for prints on Gregory Harris's car, and there was no record on whether they tested the blood that was found in the car. The court relied completely on the witness
1: testimony of Fred Mitchell. This is just like hearsay. Yeah, exactly. This is total fucking hearsay bollocks. It's like somebody called you up and said it was them and then somebody went, I'm arresting you. Oh, you know that murder? Well, that was my I know who that was. If you give me some time off. Exactly. This is not evidence. It's
0: not, but I think we already know the answers that Fred Mitchell did it, but he probably gave info that only someone present would know, but implicated it on someone else. Yeah, sneaky. That's how he was able to get away with it, I think. Richard Phillips's own attorney also remained silent during most of the trial. He did not call any witnesses, he did not bring up any evidence, and he didn't challenge Fred Mitchell on any of his stories. What do you fucking do? Just sit there mute? <laughs> it sounds like it. He chose not to put Richard Phillips on the stand, and when it was time for the closing statements, all the lawyer said was You know, they talk about Gregory Harris being dead. I don't know if Gregory Harris is dead. Uh, why did they hire a deaf and blind lawyer? <laughs> like... uh, It was his court-appointed lawyer, so it sounds like he just checked out.
1: Drunk guy, doesn't care, wife's divorcing him. Yeah. Fucking clocks in for the paycheck. He's like, if you just sit in court for 12 hours, technically that's defending someone.
0: (laughs) You know who hates him? Tito the lawyer.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What kind of joke are you? Pissing on his car. Yeah. I just need to open this gin. (laughs) Sorry. Every week now. Okay. So,
0: after this deplorable court trial, Richard Phillips was sentenced to life in prison for conspiracy to murder and for first-degree murder. He went to prison with hope that the truth would still come out, and he waited for things to turn around in his favor. Meanwhile, Palombo remained quiet for fear that Fred Mitchell would get him or his family, and at the same time, Fred Mitchell's attorney reworked Fred's robbery sentence to reward him for testifying at Richard's trial. Fred's sentence was reduced from four to ten years.
1: Uh, No, wait. His sentence was reduced from ten to four, you mean?
0: It was like he could serve four to ten years
1: rather than ten to twenty. Fuck me. This is like the petrol thing all over again. (laughs)
0: Listen. (laughs) So, Richard Phillips is in prison. After five years, he began to lose hope. He asked his wife not to bring his children to visit him. He didn't want to subject them to his reality. In one article I read, he said he saw other inmates having their children visit and he saw a baby's diaper, like a nappy, being searched. And he was like, I don't want my kids to go through that.
1: Yeah, fair enough.
0: And he also told his wife to move on, which eventually she did and his children did too. And they started to believe that their dad was in fact a murderer. Oh, God. They were really young when it happened, so your dad's in jail when you're two years old.
1: You'd expect their mum to be like, no, he isn't. Yeah. I guess she just doesn't fucking care at this point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it sounds like they weren't that close before he went to jail because he was doing drugs and stuff, so it was already a little rocky for her anyway.
1: Yeah, she's like, what do you want to do? Let me down consistently and then leave me with kids and no income and... This is all because you were knocking around with that fucking dickhead. Yeah. I told you. I told you about Fred. That must have been her
0: attitude. Yep. Richard did start to pick up art. He wrote poems and began painting pictures, scenery, portraits, and still lifes, eventually painting so much that he had to give his art away or he mailed it to a pen pal to keep safe. In 1991, almost 20 years after Richard had been sentenced to life in prison, Judge Helen E. Brown was reviewing cases and found Richard Phillips and Palumbo's cases, where she concluded that Fred Mitchell had most likely made a deal with the prosecution and kept it a secret from the jury and defense team. He himself had admitted that he was involved with the murder of Gregory Harris, yet he wasn't ever held accountable. Because in his testimony, he said that they had conspired together. Yeah, that's crackers. All three of them.
1: Yeah. Who's he blowing down at the police department?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, who does he know? Yeah. She also found it ridiculous that the sentences of Richard Phillips and Palombo were the result of the testimony of only one man's story, and she declared in air quotes prosecutorial misconduct. Yes. And she asked for a fair trial for both of them. Yeah. However, for reasons not clear, Judge Brown's request for a fair trial was denied by Michigan court. They concluded that was that there was not enough evidence to prove that there was misconduct from the prosecution. And Richard Phillips' sentence was reinstated.
1: Ugh. What a letdown. So now there's not enough evidence. (laughs) Like, before with your pieces of dust (laughs) evidence. So that was 20
0: years. Imagine being in jail for 20 years. Someone starts to believe in you. Judge Helen E. Brown. You get real hopeful, and then just
1: another letdown no I don't want to imagine being in jail for 20 years and I'll tell you for why today a photo popped up on my time hop and it was four years ago and that was like when I first came to see you wasn't yeah. it and um yeah. I just think fuck me think of how much stuff has changed in four years yeah like four four years you hear it and you think that's a long time but then you see a photo and you're like I felt like I feel like that was yesterday I I Honestly, I think I'm, I'm a
0: different person from four years ago.
1: Yeah, me too. A hundred percent a different person. Yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. That was like a lifetime ago. Mm-hmm. How much has happened, like personally
1: and in the world? Yep, yep. And I also, I also think as well, like four years ago, I was like, oh, in four years' time, I wasn't even thinking about in four years' time. Whereas now, when I project my brain to four years, when I'm thirty-six. Think of what could have changed Mm -hmm. for the better. Yeah. Oh my God, you could be anywhere. You could be doing anything. You could be anyone. (laughs) You could. You really could. You fucking could. Because four years ago, what the fuck was I on? Like, I was really unhappy. And now, even like after a breakup, I'm still in myself happier. Like, I've figured out loads of stuff about myself, which helps me in situations that I would, before, just crumble in. Do you feel like that?
0: I a thousand percent agree with you.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I feel like, it sounds cliche, but I feel like as a woman turning 30, yeah. 30 is kind of a, I don't know, it's a turning point. It seems like the death note. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it seems like, okay, I'm 30 now, my life's over. Like, that's that's what it's well, like made out to be like and then you get there and you realize that's not what it's like at all it's much better yeah. than it's much better than your 20s right
0: oh, i feel like god. in your 20s you're just you're scrambling because you're like oh my god 30 is coming up yeah you're white and knuckling you to 30 <laughs> yes everything is chaos everything is a white knuckle ride to 30 yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then no matter where you are there's just something that
1: you're more sure of you're stable i think i think it's because you got to 30 and the world didn't explode so you're like oh right it's fine it is okay like it's like (laughs) the worst has happened (laughs) for me anyway like that's how my brain like framed it it's like like you've been through war yeah
0: war is over
1: You're home you've got no legs but you are (laughs) you know yourself (laughs) yeah so in conclusion no i don't want to think about what's going to happen in 20 years time (laughs)
0: And, yeah, even worse being in prison. Yeah, no thanks. All right. So in October 2009, Richard was 63 years old, and he was given the chance to bring his case to the governor of Michigan. He was asked to tell the truth of what happened, where he simply said, I had nothing in the world to do with Mr. Harris's death. He had also at this time been writing to Palumbo, whose health was deteriorating and his guilt for not speaking up was weighing on his mind. In 2010, Palumbo heard that Fred Mitchell had died. He was ready to tell the truth. Also, Fred Mitchell died in 1997, so Palumbo didn't hear That's for about so
1: annoying.
0: 13 years that things could have changed for him. Ugh. On August 24th, 2010, Palumbo had a public hearing for the possibility of parole, where he was asked to tell the details of the crime from the beginning. Here is what he said, okay. and it's very condensed. Okay. so in 1970 Palumbo and Fred Mitchell were both in jail Palumbo worked in the kitchen with Fred Mitchell and that's where they became friends one day Mitchell had a visitor and when he saw Palumbo again he said that a couple of guys had gone to his mother's house and stolen a $500 check out of her purse Mitchell told Palumbo that he would get these guys when he got out of prison by June 1971 they were both out and the two planned a robbery at a convenience store. As they cased the store, Mitchell supposedly saw the man that had stolen the money from his mother. He jumped in the man's car. The man was Gregory Harris. Also, Gregory Harris was 21. Had he stolen the money? There's no evidence. evidence. okay.
1: Not that he deserves to die if he did, but I'm just asking. Right.
0: If it was like a case
1: of mistaken identity.
0: Yeah. They drove to an alleyway with Gregory Harris in the car, And Mitchell shot Gregory in the head. Mitchell and Palumbo drove the body to Troy, Michigan and dumped it in a field where it stayed until it was found the following March, 1972. God, no one went in that field. No, it was found by, (laughs) I read the article, it was like, a man was working nearby and he went to relieve himself in the field. Oh God. And he saw something sticking out of the ground. Horrifying. That would stop you from pissing Mm in
1: the field and you probably start shitting yourself (laughs) yeah
0: (laughs) yeah so talissa what was missing from this story from palumbo uh richard yeah you're right the assistant attorney general charles shetler jr had the same question where was richard phillips during all this yeah and he asked palumbo about his involvement to which palumbo replied I didn't meet Mr. Phillips until July fourth, nineteen seventy-one. Fucking hell! At a barbecue at Fred Mitchell's house, which was about eight days after the murder, had they not thought to speak to him before? Like they did, but he didn't. He didn't talk because he was oh, too yeah. scared of Fred and Mitchell. And then that guy
1: was dead. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. Right. So. Even with Palumbo's new testimony, it took the court another seven years to help Richard Phillips. Palumbo asked his attorney (laughs) to reach out to the Innocence Clinic in Michigan, where law students and the head of the Innocence Clinic, David Moran, looked over the court transcripts and requested a new trial for Richard. On December 12, 2017, after hearing Phillips' testimony and taking note of his good conduct in prison, Judge Kevin Cox allowed Phillips a new trial, and as long as he wore an ankle monitor, he would be allowed to await trial outside of prison. For the first time in almost 46 years, Phillips was out of jail. While he waited, he was offered a plea deal of a second-degree murder charge, and he would be free because he had already served time.
1: Yeah, time
0: served. He refused, saying he'd rather die in prison than admit to something that he didn't do.
1: This is a very difficult one, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
0: For the new trial, they brought in new witnesses, including Fred Mitchell's sister, who told the court that Mitchell had admitted to killing Gregory Harris. They also found that Mitchell's timeline didn't add up. He had said that he, Phillips, and Palombo had planned the murder a week before it had happened. However, after checking, Palombo had only been out of prison for two days before the murder had happened and didn't meet Phillips until a week after the
1: murder. Well, he couldn't keep his nose clean, could he? <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> Do you want to give it more than two days before you murder someone? I know. Well, he didn't. He just thought they
0: were going to rob a convenience store. Still? Yes. Yeah. Stop breaking the
1: law, asshole.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So it, it all didn't add up. And this is what I'm saying. Like, you and I could have done a better job for the lawyers that were representing them in the 70s.
1: Fucking hell, look at a piece of paper that tells you when one of them went in prison. That's all I'm asking you to do. (laughs) Just Read the words, damn it. (laughs) Just put on your reading glasses and (laughs) get out the fucking file. I know it was all paper back then. It's a bit of a pain in the ass, but like literally (laughs) a man's life is at stake.
0: (laughs) Not to mention, again, the police who dropped the ball Mm -hmm. for young black men.
1: Yeah, I mean, you telling me a story about a wrong-making black man is really not a surprise.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. On March 28th, 2018, this is two years ago. Yeah. (sighs) At 72 years old, Richard Phillips was completely exonerated and dismissed of all murder charges. His time served at 45 years and two months is the longest time anyone has served in America under a
1: wrongful conviction. Wow. (laughs) I just hope he is, like, a sprightly 72-year-old and he can just make the most of, like, his remaining years. It looks like he is. Yeah.
0: For the first year and a half out of prison, Richard had a rough time finding work and an apartment. So with the support of his pen pal, who he was sending his paintings to, uh, who kept his letters and paintings after all those years, and through friends in New York, he began selling his paintings which you can see and buy today at richardphillipsartgallery.com.
1: Ooh, are they good? Yeah, they are pretty good. Are they? What kind of style is it? I'm testing your art GCSE here. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So are they like modern? (laughs) Are they like um, impressionist, which is like that sort of watery watercolor? Are they realist? Do they look like photographs?
0: He wasn't... No. He was inspired by Picasso, but... oh i would say the color palette of picasso yeah but more not as abstract as picasso sort of modern art cubism but with a realist twist yeah not exactly cubism either just more realism very bright yes okay yeah um they're pretty good they're expensive though i was like oh this would be really cool to like buy something but it's like seven grand for a man's got to make a living <laughs> Oh, yeah. In one of the articles, it was like he said, I didn't think that I would sell any of them. He had over 20 paintings for his first art gallery show. And he sold them for about $500 a piece. Wow. And they all sold out.
1: Yeah. So, I think he's got a great story. Yeah, exactly. People will be like, you can see the pain and the lines and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> um, also, like some of them were from when
0: he was in prison. Yeah. And then some of them when he came out. Uh, he also reconnected with his son. In May of 2019, Richard went back to court where he won an entitlement to $50,000 for every year he spent in prison, which came out to about $1.5 million untaxed wow. and none having to go towards attorney fees. I was going
1: to say, don't make me do the maths. Like 47 <laughs> times
0: 50 grand. <laughs> yeah. He planned to buy a small home and adopt a German shepherd puppy with the money. Oh. Phillips says he holds no animosity against the system or anyone. He said, in quotes, the animosity has to be there before you have problems. So if you have a rotten heart from the beginning, you're going to have a rotten heart afterwards. My heart has never been rotten. Oh, God. And that is the story of the wrongful conviction of Richard Phillips.
1: Oh, God. Oh, the thing is, maybe I have a rotten heart because I'd be fucked off. <laughs> like- I just feel like after all that time... I guess you're just happy. There's no point in your remaining life being ruminating on the shit life you had because you haven't even got much left.
0: Right. And, I mean, he did get compensated for it. So it's not like he was just left in the dirt, which a lot of people are. Mm -hmm. They're they're just kind of like, you're free to go. No apology or anything like that. And he talks about his story and tries to help people who are or were in that situation. So,
1: is he like like a. He's still around. He must be a God fearing man, right? Um. I didn't see much about that. Mm, Because that sounds like a very Christian approach to someone fucking you over. Just being like, well, I had hope all the way. I kind of assume that's like, maybe wrongly, but I kind of assume that's like, I believed that God would get me out kind of thing. Like you hear a lot of prisoners.
0: I didn't see any God talk, really.
1: (laughs) Any Bible bashing.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But um, I do kind of think it's that saying where it's like, if you're mad at someone, you're holding the pain more than the person you're mad at yeah
1: they don't even care or know if you're mad at them right
0: so it's better to just let it go because you're only holding yourself back have
1: you turned to god recently (laughs) (laughs) i have been reading a lot of self-help books yeah um yeah that was a fucking great story and unbelievable that someone could just be that police could be that lazy just to go yeah or Like I said, who is this guy blowing at the police station that they're just like, do you know what? What he says makes a lot of sense. Like, he's obviously a fucking criminal and a liar. Jailhouse snitch testimony. Right. I just
0: watched the movie Just Mercy last night. Okay. Have you heard of that? No. It's basically the same kind of story. It's obviously the guy didn't go to jail for 45 years, but he was in jail for, I think, six years or something like that. And it was the same kind of thing where he just got picked up by cops they wanted to just tell the parents of the murdered person that they found the person yeah and that Close was it, it off Close like, the case job off. done yeah and i think that that's what cops do to just check out sometimes which is really shitty
1: yeah okay so again it's funny that you said it about yours because this is believed to be the longest wrongful oh. conviction in england wow yeah well like england wales scotland Ireland, etc. Great Britain, otherwise known as. Yes, um. <laughs> United Kingdom. The United Kingdom. Let's hear it. Yeah. Stephen Downing was born in 1956, and he grew up in the small town of Bakewell in the Peak District, Derbyshire. Uh, so Bakewell's a pretty market town, and it's basically... Uh, as I mean, my geographical knowledge of Northern England is not good, so it's basically the north.
0: You know what I think of when I, I, I'm really hungry right now? All I can think of is
1: bakewell tarts. Do you have bakewell tarts in America?
0: No and I would love one. So explain
1: what they are to American listeners who haven't had one.
0: It's like a pie crust kind of. Very small. Like mini. Yeah. Yeah like the size of your palm. Yeah. And in it is like a white icing with like a cherry filling
1: yeah is that
0: correct yeah so yeah. Th-
1: so it's three it's three parts it's the, it's the pie crust and then it's a thing called mm-hmm. frangipan which is like a mm-hmm. marzipan apricot um sorry almond type flavor
0: yes then
1: um and that's sort of like a spongy uh texture and then it's very thick white sugary icing and then a glace cherry on top and yes. they are delicious
0: Oh my gosh, I would love one right now. <laughs> I would love like six right Mr. now. Mr.
1: Kipling's Bakewell's Heart. Yes. So, yeah, he grew up there. He lived with his mum, Juanita, who was not Spanish in any way, like just a hmm. normal, regular English woman. And his dad, Ray, and his younger sister, Chrissy. So, after leaving school in 1974, he got a job with the council as a groundsman at Bakewell Cemetery. <laughs> Delicious. <laughs> which was uh, just around the corner from his house. So his, his duties included tending the graveyard and making sure that the grounds were in good order. Um, so he was 17 years old at this time, but he had a reading age of an 11-year-old. So yeah. he didn't really do too well in school, and they thought his IQ was fairly low. Um, mm. Within the graveyard, there were two chapels. The first, nearest the gate, was a consecrated chapel, Uh, So that would be like the Chapel of Rest, where they would put uh, bodies before they um, took them to the funeral. And then Mm -hmm. further into the graveyard was the Unconsecrated Chapel. So this was used as a tool store for Stephen and his fellow workers. It had a heater for the winter, and so the workers would take their lunch break there. So. On Wednesday the 12th of September 1973, Stephen returned to work after having a few days off sick with a cold. And his mum said she wanted him to stay off longer to fully recover, but he insisted that he was fine to go back. So, on that day, at lunchtime, 35-year-old Wendy Sewell left her office and walked through the cemetery alone. A witness, Charles Carmen, saw her enter the cemetery at 12.50pm. This was the same time that Stephen was having a cigarette break. So, he was outside the unconsecrated chapel and he saw Wendy walking through. He then headed to the local shop and then he nipped back to see his mum on the way back and then he went back to work. So, when he arrived back, he saw a woman lying by one of the graves. The woman was Wendy and she was partially dressed with her clothing strewn around her. She'd been savagely beaten around the head and a bloodied pickaxe handle had been discarded by her left-hand side. She was beaten... Oh my gosh. Yeah. She was beaten around the head with the handle of the pickaxe and sexually assaulted with her trousers, pants, plimsolls, and parts of her bra removed.
0: And this was in broad daylight.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's in a graveyard, so it wouldn't have been, like, a busy thoroughfare. But, yeah, broad daylight. She was conscious, so Stephen tried to administer first aid. And in doing so, he got blood all over himself. And then Wendy sat up and shook her head. And Stephen said that that flicked blood all over him. This really startled him, and then he just ran for help minutes later returning with other work colleagues when they arrived back at the scene of the attack wendy had moved or had been moved and she was now further into the cemetery amongst the old gravestones police arrived and the ambulance took wendy to chestfield royal hospital so stephen was asked to help officers and provide any information he could so he went to the police station he didn't know at this time that he was the prime suspect He told police that he found Wendy lying on the ground, covered in blood, and that her blood got on his clothes because she shook her head. Despite having learning difficulties and a reading age of 11, he was arrested, questioned for nine hours without a solicitor present, and then signed a confession. So this is a little bit Brandon Dassey. No. Yeah. (laughs) And um, the Central Park Five, and loads of other examples where basically children were questioned without parents or lawyers. Yeah. So he was charged with the attempted murder of Wendy and remanded in custody. Unfortunately, she later died from her injuries at Chesterfield Royal Hospital two days later, and the charge was upgraded to murder. So before his trial in Nottingham in February 1974, Stephen tried to retract his confession, but to no avail. His trial took place between the 13th and 15th of February. He pleaded not guilty. A forensic scientist, Norman Lee, gave evidence that the blood found on the accused could only have been present if he had been re- responsible for the assault. Lee described this evidence as te- a as textbook example which might be expected on the clothing of an assailant. No full transcript of the trial exists, but in summing up, the judge drew attention to Downing's admission during the trial of having indecently assaulted Wendy as she lay injured in the cemetery. He later denied that he made those admissions during the trial. By unanimous verdict, the jury found Stephen guilty of murder and he was sentenced to be indefinitely detained with a stipulation that he served a minimum of 10 years. Wow. So, yeah, he can't, like, defend... 10
0: years isn't too bad.
1: No, but he's, he's got the same issue that your fella had, which is if you oh. don't admit that you did it, you've got no... Possibility of parole. Right. Which is so the same rule applies in England. If you don't admit guilt, you can't be paroled. They decided to launch an appeal because a witness was found who said that she saw Wendy leaving the cemetery and at that time she also saw Wendy alive and unharmed. Downing applied to appeal on the grounds that he had a new witness. So on the 25th of October 1974, the Court of Appeal heard his case. And they reached the conclusion that the witness's evidence of seeing Wendy walking towards the back of the consecrated chapel was unreliable due to some fully grown trees that would have obstructed her line of sight. The court felt that her evidence wasn't credible. Hmm. So although Stephen Downing continued to deny the murder, nothing happened. So his family attempted to get support for another retrial. And then in 1994, they wrote to the local newspaper, the Matlock Mercury. (laughs) Sounds legit. Matlock. And it's uh, the editor's called Don Hale. He <laughs> so he took up the case and ran a campaign. So as a result of this campaign, along with Downing's continual protestation, prot, ugh, protestations of innocence, the case was referred to the Criminal Cases Review in 1997. So he was jailed in 1974. So, again, this is a fucking long old time.
0: It's pretty much the same time as mine. Mine was 1971.
1: Okay. Yeah, so then 20 years later, he got to present evidence to the court. So, during the second appeal held on the 15th of January, 2002, there were... Oh, no, sorry. So, 1997, he thought he was going to get a second appeal. It didn't happen until 2002. Oh, wow. There were two reasons the court agreed the conviction was unsafe. The first was that the confession should not have been allowed to go before a jury. This was because Downing had been questioned for eight hours during which the police shook him and pulled his hair to keep him awake. So because he wasn't formally cautioned that what he may say, what he said may be given in evidence, he wasn't, and he wasn't given a solicitor. So. Mm. The Crown also agreed more recent knowledge of blood splatter patterns meant the prosecution's claim that the blood could only have been found on the clothes of the attacker was questionable. What the defence approved proved was that there was reasonable doubt about the reliability of the confessions made in 1973. His lordship said, The court cannot be sure the confessions are reliable. It follows that the conviction is unsafe. The conviction is quashed. Yeah, so he is free. So he was wow. he was released on appeal after 27 years in prison, and then in 2002, the court over sorry overturned the decision, finding it unsafe. He had to change prison eight times due to being assaulted by fellow prisoners as a sex offender. Wow. So
0: poor guy.
1: Yeah, and I watched a documentary with him in it, and he is just he's just a simple guy and when I say simple I don't mean stupid I mean nice yeah he's not um arrogant he's just really like humble and like yeah they they put me away and I didn't do it and prison was okay I guess on Friday night we kind of had parties like
0: (laughs) Uh (laughs) my guy is like that too where uh Richard Phillips was just He's just a gentle man.
1: Mild-mannered, I think is the word.
0: Yeah. Even though he seems a little bit more street-smart than your guy,
1: Mm. he
0: still sounds like a warm gentleman. Yeah.
1: So, following the court appeal overturning his conviction, the Derbyshire police reinvestigated the murder under the name Operation Noble. I mean, where they come up with these things. Yeah. (laughs) During 2002, they interviewed 1,600 witnesses at an estimated cost of £500,000. A year after the conviction was overturned in February 2003, police revealed the findings... There were 22 other possible suspects, but all were cleared of any possibility of having murdered Wendy. Okay. So, fuck all came of that. The witness, who originally testified that she saw Stephen in the graveyard, was re-interviewed and accompanied back to the cemetery location. She reaffirmed that the fully grown trees, which have since been felled, would have obstructed her line of sight. She also revealed the knowledge that she is, and was at the time, short-sighted. So she was just okay. a complete and utter bullshit. Uh, like God knows why.
0: Why? Why did you do that? I don't
1: know. Like she never gives a reason. Um, pfft. I don't know. Maybe like she was. People were so desperate for him to get out because they knew he didn't do it that they were like, anyone? Anyone got anything they can bring
0: forward? Yeah. Or she's maybe she's just one of those attention grabbers. Yeah,
1: possibly. I saw what happened. Mm. Even though I'm short sighted and there's loads of trees in the way. Yeah. <laughs> After failing to link any other person with the murder, and unable to eliminate Downing as the suspect, they declared the case closed, which is really unfair to Wendy's family. Yeah. Like, it's not closed until it's closed, you know? Right, that's sad. That's my attitude, anyway. Yeah. Even though Downing remained the prime suspect, under the double jeopardy rule, the police did not submit the results of their inquiries to the Crown Prosecution Service, as he can't be rearrested and charged with the same crime without new evidence. So it kind of seems like they still really think it was him. Mm. But then in January 2014, a former detective investigating 16 unsolved murders and possible links to the Yorkshire Ripper obtained a pathology report, which he claimed was buried by the police in 1973 within a few days of the attack on Wendy. He said it would have completely contradicted the so-called confession, exonerated Downing and prevented a miscarriage of justice. This new evidence sparked a new submission to the Home Secretary, claiming that Derbyshire Police's investigations in 1973 had been biased and unsatisfactory. The report called on Derbyshire Police to apologise and explain their actions. Don Hale, who is the editor of the <laughs> paper, <laughs> had been told by police that all the evidence had been burnt, lost and destroyed then he then he why well (laughs) i don't know it's just like whatever they later found out that the murder weapon a pickaxe handle was found to be on display at derby museum (laughs) 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 your face (laughs) i know someone had just gone is that is that the pickaxe that someone used to bludgeon someone to death? pop it in the museum (laughs)
0: people will love to see
1: that one of the most interesting things that happened in derby get it up
0: so, so um i would be wait i would be so angry if i were wendy's family
1: how the fuck did it end up in a museum like it's uh, it's in an open investigation by the police yeah maybe like that makes me think that one of the police have maybe sold them but yeah um so when the murder weapon was found on display at a museum it was subject to a modern forensic examination Mr. Downing's fingerprints were not found, although there was a bloody palm print from an as-yet-unidentified person. If you ask me, they could have got any old pickaxe handle and bloodied it. But, I mean, maybe it was the real one, because they were like, oh, we're going to test it. Like, it looked real enough for them to test, so maybe it genuinely was the right one.
0: I just feel like it would be... it Like, it's too ridiculous to not be true. Yeah. Finding a pickaxe that's in the museum... And someone's like, oh, this is it. That's too ridiculous to be a lie.
1: Well... Does that make sense? Yeah, (laughs) it does. But me and Carly went to this place, right, called Little Dean Museum Jail. Or Little Little Dean Mm -hmm. Jail Museum. So it's on uh, Dangerous Tourist or Dark Tourist. No, Dark Tourist on Netflix, yeah. 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 He goes to Little Dean Jail and he sees Fred West's tie. Do you remember this?
0: Right, I remember that, Right, so me and Carly
1: have been there. And (laughs) it is the most mental collection it's bizarre it's so fucking weird and we went there and um they had like saddam hussein's toilet seat like supposedly like and they also had supposedly rose west's saucy underwear and fred west's spade it was just screwed to the wall and i was like right okay if that really was fred West's spade why is it screwed to a wall and not in some sort of like special case evidence case and why why is it there and also like that could be any spade (laughs) the same with the underwear exactly i don't think that really was rose west underwear or fred west spade but yeah i was just like what the fuck it's also a, oh, what else was in there that was really weird? Like animals that have clearly been made up, like two things sewn together. Like, <laughs> oh mate, it's tw- like 20 quid to get in, but it's worth every penny. Um, and I would love to go. Doesn't he have little miniature
0: displays of Nazi scenes Yeah, or and it's like,
1: this isn't a museum. This is just something no. you've thrown together. It's some weirdo's garage. This is like looking inside the mind of a madman. These captions may as well be written in shit. Like, (laughs) it's just... Yeah. And you paid
0: 20 quid for it. Yeah, and I don't
1: regret it. (laughs) And I would do again. I would do again. So, the end of my story is that he served 27 years in jail in total. And he was released from Little Hay Prison in Cambridgeshire in 2001. Downing's release was reported by the BBC as being hailed as a triumph for campaigning journalism and an end to one of the worst miscarriages of justice in English legal history. Downing was reported as receiving celebrity treatment upon his release. He initially found employment as a trainee chef in a Bakewell restaurant. Using the training he'd been given whilst in prison, he received compensation of £750,000 because he was not informed he was under arrest, nor that he had the right to a solicitor. He received the money wow. in two payments. An interim payment of two hundred and fifty grand, followed by a final payment of five hundred thousand. Wow. And that is the story of Stephen Downing.
0: Where is he now? Do you know? Is he still working in that Bakewell
1: restaurant? I wouldn't have thought so. Now he's got seven hundred and fifty grand. Like I'd take a day off. Yeah. <laughs> I watched um a BBC two documentary on YouTube and it was really crap. And it basically was, (laughs) it was just so shit. And it was just like, uh, they didn't even tell you like what the evidence was that got him off. It was just like him uh, gallivanting about Derby and just being like, oh, hiya. It's like people they had not seen in like 27 years. (laughs) His mum and dad are so cute though. And like still together. And apparently they call Juanita Nita. And yeah, those parents are so sweet. And his sister just like goes, well, he didn't, he didn't know how to use a washing machine. So then we taught him and then he knew how to use it. And and then he was really happy about it. But that quickly got old. And I'm just like, this isn't a documentary.
0: (laughs) No, what is this? Come on. With my story, Richard Phillips, when he got out of jail, he really wanted ice cream Aww. and he was surprised with when he went to the grocery store how many different kinds of orange juice you can get.
1: Yeah I've, I've heard other people speak about what they're surprised about when they get out of prison. Yeah. To be honest oh oh, I remember someone saying um Spotify was like the thing that blew their mind.
0: Really? <laughs> yeah wow. but it would. I mean it, it is kind of cool. To be fair it
1: blows my mind. Like <laughs>
0: Yeah. But, like eh- kids now don't know but we lived in the age of like lime wire and like yeah having to burn cds and record songs from the radio
1: onto a tape yeah so i had a uh, mp3 player and you could only get 10 songs on it and so i just had like 10 <laughs> songs that i listened to over and over and over and over because that was the only yeah. Ho- like yeah i could change the songs over but it took like a fucking week to download one so <laughs> into the format you needed it in, to put it on the mp3 player like yeah, it's a nightmare. So, yeah. Yeah, Spotify blows my mind as well. It's great. It blows my mum's mind. I'm like anything you want, it's there. She's like what even this? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what even The Supremes. Yes. <laughs> All of it.
0: <laughs> I'll, although I think for a while you couldn't get Prince songs on there. Or Queen or Yeah. Beyoncé, was it? You can get on there certain beyond like the Lemonade oh, yeah, album. I think you're right. Taylor Swift. Yeah. yeah kids don't know kids don't kids don't know our struggles
1: (laughs) think what's the future gonna be let's make some predictions
0: oh my god even the apple watch Um, i think is
1: really spacey
0: it's crazy when i work out now there's a our neighbor who works out and he has his like apple watch on a speaker so that he can listen to music and so now your apple watch can tell you like you are burning fat. Oh god.
1: <laughs> yeah. God. If I had one, it'd be like, You haven't moved in three hours. <laughs> <laughs> it does it does that too. No, I don't want that.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Someone posted some actor Um, His name is Paul Shear. He posted on Instagram today. He had his Apple Watch. It was a picture of his Apple Watch. And the screen said, your heart rate is at 126 beats per minute, even though you haven't moved for an hour. (laughs) And he was, and his caption was, no, and his caption was, this is 10 minutes into the presidential debate.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's some good comedy.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Did you... I feel like anyone who listens to this in, like, three years' time is going to be like, what are
1: those old fogies talking about? <laughs> like, everyone has an Apple Watch now. Oh, mate, I don't want... Did you, did you hear, like, um... I was expecting... Because my mate Ruth was like, oh, I might get a Fitbit. And I was like, oh, do you know mm. there's, like, loads of murders that have been solved with Fitbits? And she was like, really? Oh, really? There's, like, there's like more than... Maybe more than three. So yeah. one of them was a guy who said he was, he said he was somewhere at a certain time, and he just wasn't. So it was like an yeah. alibi, like basically that that blew like blew his alibi. And there was another guy okay. who I think he like murdered his daughter or his daughter in law, and he went over to her house and he said I was the last person to see her, and then the time that he said he was there, he went I went over to see her. And then I left. And after that, someone must have broken in and killed her. Wasn't me. And then they saw on her Fitbit that her heart rate was like, went really, 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 really high when he was there, and then stopped. So she's wow. obviously scared, and then murdered. And wow. they literally convicted him on that evidence.
0: That's crazy. I know.
1: That's amazing. I know. Some people are really scared of technology, and they're like, oh, it's taking over our lives and stuff. I think it's fucking amazing. And honestly, like, you're not that interesting. The government doesn't want to know what you're up to unless you're a terrorist making bombs, which you shouldn't be doing anyway. No one fucking cares. Like, you're not in Minority Report and you are not Tom Cruise.
0: <laughs> they they only care about your money. So yeah. there's a, this new documentary that came out on Netflix. Oh, The and Social Dilemma? I feel like every, yeah, everyone's talking about it. I haven't it watched and It's about it. how all the things like Facebook, Pinterest, Instagram were designed to keep us uh addicted to it. Yeah, it's like ding the notification ding. <laughs> like right. And they they are collecting our data. They mm-hmm. are like watching and so
1: for yeah, the purposes it's of marketing though. Exactly. For the purposes Just for of making purposes. more money off you. Not because right. not because they're interested in you in particular. Like right. I don't know. <laughs> they don't want to put you away in jail they just want your money exactly so it's to make um marketing cleverer and more targeted and more effective which annoyingly i feel like it is because there'll be a fucking instagram post and i'll be like i'm really interested in that product that's really (laughs) annoying and like it I i genuinely have bought stuff like in the past six months i've probably bought like four or five things off of instagram adverts they am sure
0: I have too. They
1: are the most effective piece of marketing to me. But it's because yeah. my Instagram is so tuned to what I want it to be. I yeah, only yeah. I only look at stuff on there that, that genuinely gives me joy. Right. So they know what to give me to make me buy joy.
0: <laughs> I think a darker side of it is like turning people's... Opinion on like the president, like I yeah. know that Facebook was used a lot for the 2016 presidency. So that's true, things like that. But too. I feel like that's
1: fucking stupid, boomers, like who don't <laughs> understand that Facebook no Facebook does shit like that. Like right, you they don't right. they don't look at it through a rose tinted glass. Like they look at it as if it's fact because they don't they're not because they read it. They're used to like reading the news. And the
0: news being the truth. Yeah. And it's like, anything that you read does not mean that it's the news. Whereas
1: like every, <laughs> I feel like so many millennials take it with a pinch of salt because they're so used yeah. to being presented with something that might not be true. Right. Like, right. whereas any generation above ours, I mean, I'm obviously generalizing a lot here, but I think, right. I think it's probably the hard and fast rule that boomers don't understand Facebook well enough to not be tricked by it. <laughs>
0: Right, lost a, lost our boomer, homework.
1: lost our boomer audience, lost oh, our no. who else have we lost? The French, Scottish with our terrible <laughs> accents, the Welsh, Welsh, the Kennedy, Tech Kennedy fans. <laughs> oh, C- Cliff Richard fans, they're gone. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, Trump fans. Thank you to our ten listeners. <laughs> Trump fans, you can fuck off <laughs> for... before I <I've> even started.
0: <laughs> oh man, you guys should have turned it off at the beginning.
1: Yeah, exactly. Okay, well, I think things are coming to a natural end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) As they will when
1: we lose everyone.
0: (laughs) Okay. All right, join us next week for another episode of Transatlantic Crime. (laughs) Who else do we offend? Yeah. Find out next week (laughs) on (laughs) Transatlantic Crime. All right, bye. Thanks for listening to Transatlantic Crime this week. If you liked what you heard, please rate,
1: review and subscribe. And if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Transat Crime Pod, Instagram at Transatlantic Crime and on Facebook with Transatlantic Crime Podcast.
0: Thanks. Bye. <laughs>